Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the Writerflex podcast, we have guest Brad Weber. He's the founder and CEO of Inspiring Apps. They build beautiful and engaging apps that inspire how people live, work, and play. Brad Weber on the Rider Flex podcast. Brad, how's it going? Great. How are you today? I'm hanging in there. You know, we're recording this June 9th, 2020. So not sure when the listeners will hear it, but uh, well, how about that weird cold front we had last night in Colorado late on the June 8th? I'm like, what the heck? I, I had to like take my little air conditioner out of the window and all kinds of yes. stuff. <laughs> After after weeks in the 70s and 80s, somebody on our team made the mistake of saying, oh, there's no way it'll snow again. And then we got close. It was down into the low 40s. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big uh, mountain slash camper guy. I like to go up kind of high in the mountains in the summertime. And some of the, the trails and the areas that I like to disperse camp, I was waiting for them to open because some of them still had some snowpack. And now it's going to be even longer before they open because we've got some more right. snow up there. Right. Crazy. Oh, well. Um, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, sir. Are you uh, in Denver? I'm in Boulder today. In Boulder? Okay. Very good. Well, it, by the way, the weather's nicer today? A little bit. A little bit yeah, nicer. Great. Okay. Tell the listeners a little about yourself personally before we get, you know, into your career and your business. Maybe like where you grew up, but some family stuff. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in St. Louis. I uh, spent my formative years there before venturing out to Southern California, where I earned a bachelor's degree in business and played some water polo. And, oh, did you go on? Did you go on scholarship? Uh, not scholarship. No, the uh, the scholarships are for football. <laughs> <laughs> there are very few scholarships we had in other sports, but uh, it was fun to play and, and still be be involved. Um, very nice. And it was great to be in Southern California as a as a Midwestern guy, I had a fantastic time out there while I was a student and then a little bit uh, after I graduated as well. And then I, I had a longing to, to get to the mountains, so I moved to Boulder and earned an MBA. And now that's been a lot of years. I've lived in uh, Colorado longer than anywhere else at this point. So what was that like the first time you went to Southern California from St. Louis? Were you like, Holy crap! I didn't know this. I didn't know this. These types of places existed. <laughs> it was pretty eye-opening. I, I felt like uh, sometimes driving to friends' houses that still considered themselves residents of LA. I felt like I crossed the entire state of Missouri in the amount of time that it took to just cross the city. <laughs> right. It's pretty big. Now you played water polo. Polo. Does that mean you're tall? Are you a big guy? Uh, well, gosh, if you look at water polo players today, I'm pretty puny, but um, okay. at the time I was 6'4", now shrinking a bit, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. yeah, water polo guys are usually, yeah, yeah, 6'4", 6'7", like huge guys, that's why I was asking. Uh, 
Yeah, um, pretty monstrous. Well, what what made? Go yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that covers the school side, um, but uh, family-wise, I have a wife and two great girls uh, at home as well, and we're all enjoying the Colorado lifestyle, um, but also enjoy sailing when we can, which which gets us back to coasts. Oh, really? Wow. Now, I don't meet a lot of people that live in Colorado that say they enjoy sailing. That matter of fact, you might be the first because <laughs> uh, oh, do you have like a uh, do you have like a, a boat or a slip or something out in Southern California or where do you go? I do not. Uh, we charter when we are looking for a boat now to, to go somewhere. But I would have thought the same thing that landlocked Colorado does not have many sailors. But last spring break, we took a trip to the a family trip to the British Virgin Islands. And uh, boat owners and, and charters enjoy flying flags on their boat that are meaningful to them. And I would say during that spring break week, we saw more Colorado flags than anything else. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What, were you like, hey, 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 I'm over here. Were you like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I almost would have preferred that it be a little more exotic and uh, not be reminded of home quite so frequently. But, but it was something that was a little charming about it as well. Do you know how many guys I've met that grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, went to U, went to the USC and love sailing and live in Colorado? None. <laughs> this guy? <laughs> that is unique. I appreciate you sharing. They're sharing that with me. How old are your daughters? How old are the daughters? 16 and 11. Ooh, it's, ooh, it's fun times at your house oh, right they're, now. They're great. Yes. <laughs> okay, good, good. No, there's no, no rebellion happening. No major, uh, not yet. I've been told to brace for it, but they, they've been fantastic so far. Well, if you haven't seen any from your 16-year-old yet, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> Come with lessons, please. Were you, the, were you uh, just you growing up, brothers, sisters? What, what was the scoop with your family uh, back in St. Louis? I have a, a very accomplished sister who is an orthopedic oncologist in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Um, she leads a, a department at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital, and uh, wow. just finished her tenure as the first female president of the uh, American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Ooh, okay. What, what's your and mom and dad? What'd your mom and dad do? Uh, my mom is a lifelong volunteer. She was a social worker out of school and uh, found opportunities primarily in our school district to volunteer when my sister and I were growing up. And uh, my dad had a, a long career in uh, corporate America in uh, a defense agency. He worked for uh, McDonnell Douglas back in the time, uh, since been purchased by Boeing. But he worked there for 30 plus years uh, uh, into retirement. Mm, very good. I was wondering where the entrepreneurial bug came from. I, that's why I asked about the parents. I didn't know if somebody in your family was an entrepreneur. Where do you, where do you think you got Not that? Not from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> right? They were a little nervous about it at first. Um, but they, they exposed me to it a little bit, I suppose. As, as a kid, I, mean, I had a lot of odd jobs, lifeguard and, and some other things. But uh, when I was early in high school, they joined with a few of their friends, um, three, four families uh, got together and opened up a frozen custard stand in St. Louis. And ah. uh, that, was, that was all the rage back in the day. And 
uh, it turned out to be a nice family business that allowed me and all of the other uh, kids of these families that were about the same age and our friends from high school to have jobs and uh, it was fun. So I did learn a little bit about management and having responsibility uh, and having a good time at work too. That was pretty fun. Uh, mm. But mm. the big time risks of entrepreneurship, I, I had to uh, decide to, to take on myself. <laughs> well, let's talk about your career a little bit before you started your business. Give us kind of walk us through a little bit of your early career and how you decided to venture out. Sure. So first job of the MBA program was with one of the big six consulting firms at the time. I don't actually know how many are left and if people even say big something anymore, but um, <laughs> that's, that's what we called them at the time. I was in Denver working, specializing in the telecom industry. And it was, it was an exciting time for telecom in that uh, Quest was moving to town and I know the, the baby bells were needing to innovate. And so it was a great opportunity for agencies like ours, but the reality was that it was also a feeding frenzy. And so uh, there was a great deal of competition and I spent more time writing proposals than I did writing code, which is what I would have enjoyed uh, more at the time. And so after a few years of that, I, I just grew frustrated because I wasn't delivering something that people use and that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. So I uh, decided to venture out on my own and build at the time desktop applications for small businesses. And now, did, did you just, did you just, quit your, did you just like, I'm going to quit my job and that, that walk me through that moment right there. No. Well, were you, were, no. you married, were you married with kids or walk us through that, how that, that transition period right there? Because I, I think a lot of people that listen to our show, you know, they're aspiring entrepreneurs and they're always like, okay, well, hold on a minute now. Well, how'd you do that? Did you just, did you have some money saved up? Did you get clients and then you quit? Walk us through that. Uh, B, yes. So <laughs> um, it's, uh, let's see, let me back up to a couple of questions I missed in there. So Sorry. yes, I was married. Uh, no, I did not have kids. Um, yes, I was already working on the side um, oh, oh, okay. to improve my skills and really for no pay, just help friends in their businesses to try to build little applications that they could use. Ah. And so uh, I did leave thinking that I had enough clients, but I did not. So <laughs> uh, went back to a full-time job uh, I don't remember how long that first stint lasted, uh, but maintained what I was trying to do with my own venture as I picked up another job okay. uh, and then tried again and found that I still didn't have quite enough to, to make a living. So I went back uh, for my third full-time job with, with somebody else and uh, that didn't last long at all because I was laid off uh, after a few months, but um, it turned out to be just the right amount of time. And after that, you know, just accelerated a bit more, uh, a little extra hustle and managed to, to find enough clients. And for a dozen years, even before I started inspiring apps, I was an independent developer and uh, was just building applications on my own. I would occasionally partner with, with other independent developers on projects if things got larger, but for the most part, I was a, a one-man shop for, for 12 years. 
Now, when you um, had to go back to being an employee after you had tried it once or twice, when you went back, so you went back twice, did you just, were you just like, oh God, this, 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 no, I, I, I want to uh, do, I, I want to do my own thing. I mean, I got to pay the mortgage, but I really yeah. just. Yeah, I couldn't beat myself up too much about it. I mean, the, you got to face the reality of, like you said, the mortgage and other obligations. So it was fine. I, I still knew what the long-term plan was and what, what that goal was. So kept focused on that while I was doing it and it made it more tolerable, but neither one of them lasted a year even. So it was, wow. it was a small amount, a small price to pay, I guess. For now, On the for one where you got, right, right, right. The one where you got laid off and you're like, okay, I'm going to try it a third time. Was your wife like, Okay, God, here we go. You're like, no, please, <laughs> please, just, just, just go get a job. What was she saying? Was there? What was the conversation like at home? I'm just. She, she's always been very supportive. She has. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, bless her heart. That's good. You know. You know. Yep. It takes that. If you're your spouse or your partner or whoever it is in your life, they they have got to support you if you're going to do this this entrepreneurial thing. Yes, it is a joint venture, whether you uh, actually partner in the business or not. <laughs> I remember the first time I told my wife that I was going to just quit my consulting gig because I had, I had started RiderFlex just as an independent consultant, but hadn't really put, made it a recruiting firm or, you know, partnered with anybody, probably similar to what you did. And I remember telling her, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to make RiderFlex a full blown recruiting firm and I'm going to stop working for other companies as a consultant. And I'll never forget the first question she asked. She goes, well, how much is that going to pay us next year? <laughs> I said, I don't know for sure. Uh, <laughs> if you hit your projection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So, okay. So interesting story. And I think that's really good for the listeners to understand. You were working a job. You, you were, then you, you started some stuff on the side, which a lot of people do. You thought you kind of had enough going, quit your job. You didn't, had to go back, but you tried it a couple of times. I really admire that. And uh, I think that's important for the listeners. You know, just because just the first you know, swing at the, at the ball doesn't connect doesn't mean you shouldn't swing again. And you, you kept going. That's true. Um, and so for 12, almost 12 years, it was just you. And like you said, you partnered with some people, but you're like, you, you, weren't, you didn't have this plan to build a brand or start a company with a bunch of employees necessarily. I don't, I don't guess. No, uh, that came, uh, gosh, I, I would guess probably around the eight year mark, I started getting the, the itch. Okay. Uh, and so that'll tell you how long it took me to, to make that leap to, right. to yeah. found a, a new company and try to grow a team. Um, I, I got some help from a coach and uh, thought a lot about it, but I tell you, uh, finding, finding the right person to, to partner with at the beginning, and then ultimately finding uh, the first employee. Those are some uh, terrifying moments in the business history. <laughs> right. Did you bring on a partner to have like a co-founder with inspiring apps? Is that how it worked at first? I did. I, when I was, despite the fact that I developed things independently for, for so long by myself, I still felt like if I needed to shore up something in the business, it was the, the technical capabilities. Okay. So I, I founded someone, found someone uh -huh. who uh, was even more experienced than I in terms of software development. And uh, so we, we started it together. 
ultimately ended up not lasting uh, terribly long. It didn't end up being a good fit um, professionally or for the company, but it was a good way to start. I think it made sense. What are the lessons there for the listeners? Uh, take more time in vetting your co-founder or make sure your co-founder and, and yourself have more uh, personality traits in common? What, what, what are some things you would say for that, from that experience? Uh, let's see. I have many lessons to, to have learned from that. I will start with the tack that uh, would probably would have saved me. Uh, some time and anguish would be to have uh, taken more stock in myself at the time. Um, okay. Been more confident in my own abilities to continue to deliver um, what, what I've been doing for so long. Uh, but I think the, the decision to take on a partner was more out of uh, self-doubt at the time um, that turned out not to be founded. I, I was able to do okay on my own. Um, I, think, I think you can only vet someone so much. I, I mean, I felt like we had a lot in common. Um, uh, when my, my wife and I were uh, entertaining marriage, we went through a process of, of learning a lot, a guided process of learning about you know, financial priorities and how we feel about uh, faith and kids and professional uh, you know, careers and things like that. And so if there's not already, and I imagine there is uh, perhaps a resource like that for potential business co-founders would be, would be good. Did that, uh, did that cost you because you had to buy out his equity when he left? Uh, it, it was a short-term uh, expense for a long-term gain. <laughs> okay, very good. And then how many, uh, okay, so that lasted, what, a year, that co-founder relationship? No, it, it was actually several years. I mean, maybe okay. Okay. Uh, three or four years, something like that. Okay, and then when, when that ended, how big was the company then with employ, you know, employee count and, and revenue and things like that? Uh, I don't know the revenue number and I'm going to get close on employees. I would guess we were probably, uh, 16 ish employees. Okay. And a handful more contractors. Okay. okay. We, we were not in the same physical location. It's not that far apart. You're familiar with Colorado. Um, mm -hmm. he was located in Fort Collins and I was in Boulder. So, uh, it may be silly, but we had two offices in the same state, uh, only about 40 minutes from one another. And that actually made for perhaps a more clean split. Not only did we, were we able to uh, share clients or in, in an equitable way, but also had an easy way to divide employees as well. You know, the people in Fort Collins uh, stuck with him and the people in Boulder stuck with me. And so we just continued uh, parted ways. Like that. Inter interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Give us the uh, elevator pitch now for inspiring apps as it stands today. Uh, tell as us about the stands yeah. today. Go for it. Inspiring apps. Uh, let's see. We build award-winning custom web and mobile apps for startups and some of the largest brands in the world. Um, we design and build those applications. We've been doing so for almost 13 years now. We've got uh, an office still in Boulder and uh, one in Austin, Texas as well. Huh. And now thanks to uh, the pandemic, we are actually <laughs> spreading to 
many other locations as uh, employees are finding uh, that they want to be closer to family and you know maybe check out new areas of the country. Um, so historically, we've been the the one-stop shop that you would come to if you're a startup to have us build the product that you are then going to build a business around. Uh, if it happens to be a technology product, or if you're a large corporation, we're either building something to help your employees. It might be a custom app that's only used internally within an organization. Okay. Or uh, we may also build a product that you are, are taking to the marketplace uh, just with much more muscle <laughs> behind it from, from a large organization. And as I said, we've been doing that for almost 13 years. So we've, we've amassed a great deal of skill and experience over that time. So we are uh, just this year expanding our offering uh, for the first time to offer pure consulting services as well. Ah. Oh, good. So, I know that there are a lot of companies out there that prefer to to do their work in-house for app development, for instance. I see. But they may still benefit from the experience we have building hundreds of apps over the years. And so, you know, rather than committing to bringing us in and, and completing your project for you, uh, at the executive level, we can come in and help you analyze a project, help you understand what's possible you know, what the risks are. Uh, our designers can come in and work hand in hand with your designers to understand uh, the, the latest trends and best practices. And then our developers, especially in light of the fact that many technology conferences were canceled this year, that people count on to keep their skills sharp. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we can offer some tailored, really less training and more mentorship for in-house developers at some of the larger organizations. I see, okay, and how many employees today? Uh, we are about 20 today. 20, uh, 20? okay. And what, what size is the business revenue? I know it's a private company. Do you wanna give us a ballpark? Do you wanna share anything there? <laughs> uh, not a specific number. I will just say that uh, we are, we've been profitable and cash flow positive for a long, long, long time. Oh, uh, congratu congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a healthy organization. Cash flow positive, profitable. You know, you know how many business owners listening to this episode wish they could say that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't always the case, um, and that uh, it sure felt good when we got to that point and were able to sustain it. Um, in, in those early years, it's it's tough when perhaps neither of those things are true. Not not profitable or cash flow positive. Uh, those are those are some times when you got to dig deep, <laughs> and you bootstrapped it right from the beginning. I mean, it was it was a service business basically that you you bootstrapped on your own by taking the gamble and the risk to just do the consulting work. I, I'm assuming uh, that is true. So it was uh, there was kind of a trajectory. It was immediately profitable because I brought all of my prior business clients into inspiring apps, and uh, then I made it not profitable by uh, making some really poor <laughs> business decisions early on. Um, took one loan uh, over the years. Uh, thanks, Dad, if you're watching this. <laughs> Paid him back quickly and uh, have since not needed to take uh, any sort of loans or outside funding. Good for you, my man. Never had, never had to raise cash and never had to give away a bunch of equity, none of that. No, I know that uh, many of our clients, especially startup clients, uh, struggle with that. And 
I, I sympathize, but I have not walked in those shoes. So I, I don't know just how hard that is, but watching from the outside, it's challenging. You've also selected to be smaller and profitable because I'm sure that you've talked to friends or you've been at social gatherings where they're like, oh, you should, you should blow this thing up, Brad. You should, you should take out, take out some cash and put it in marketing, hire some more salespeople and just blow this thing up, right? I'm sure over the years, there's been many of those conversations or people nudging you with that advice and you've just, you've like, hey, listen, I, I'm good with the lifestyle business. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a good size. So um, it's important to me. Well, there are many things that are important to me, but I want to feel good about the work that we're doing. And from what I've observed of other companies, uh, as they grow, they have to make some sacrifices. I mean, we're at, at 20 people. I can honestly say that we have a very solid team of A players. I don't think that... I could assemble a team of 200 A players. So I don't, uh, I just don't know how to manage a group where you have a mix of A to C players yeah. and you're still producing A level output. So I feel better about staying small, working with a, a really solid team to produce consistently good results. You know, this is good information for the listeners. It, it is okay to run a small, profitable business where you deliver excellent work and have a great reputation. And, and, and that can be a really good life for you as an entrepreneur. It's not all like you see in the movies where, okay, I have, a, I have a, you know, an app idea and I'm going to borrow $10 million from a VC firm and then we're going to do this and you know, we're, then we're gonna sell it, we're all gonna be billionaires. Like, I mean, the chances of that happening are so tiny, right? You, you, you don't have to do it that way. It is okay to just have a very successful small business that's profitable and it can produce a very good life for you, uh, right? I mean, uh, you, don't, you don't, happiness is not necessarily borrowing money from VC and trying to sell a company for a billion dollars and that's the only way you're happy. That's just not reality for most people. Uh, yeah, there was, uh, let's see, I think Techstars worked with uh, Bloomberg TV years ago to produce a, a little series about uh, the Techstars experience. And I remember one of the quotes, and now I can't remember whether it was the, the founder or, or one of the VCs, but said that you know, it, it shouldn't be something to celebrate that you've just borrowed $10 million. <laughs> like that, that should be one of the most terrifying days of your life. Right. <laughs> right, right, and, and it's hard. I mean, you're right. It it gets glorified in the in popular press and in the media that the the Zuckerbergs and and others who who come in with nothing and and end up with billions. It makes for a fantastic story, um, but so do the musicians that uh, get airplay on the radio. But at the same time, there are millions and millions and millions of talented musicians out there that are not making a living you know, <laughs> at their art. So it's, it's tough to be one of the few that, that make it. And so I'm, I'm very happy where, where we are. The other interesting thing that you mentioned, you know, I, you didn't say the word control, but you know, if it's small enough, you, you have your hands on stuff, right? And you don't lose control of the quality of work being delivered. 
I asked, a friend of mine asked me one time, we were sitting on the back porch and, uh, and he said, well, what scares you the most? And I said, quite frankly, what scares me the most is the bigger we get, the more recruiters I have to have on the team. And that just, every time we hire a new recruiter, it constantly puts the reputation <laughs> at risk. And because it's just yeah. more, more recruiters doing the work for RiderFlex that, that we built. And, and I'm just, I, you know, that's the one thing I'm scared to death of is, is handing that responsibility to a complete stranger that joins my team and go, okay, here's the ref, here's the, here's the referrals and reviews and references and reputation that we built over the last several years that I killed myself to build. Here you go. Here's my reputation. Go service a new client and hope that they don't blow it up. I mean, that's (laughs) scary, right? It is. Yeah. And you know, that, that's interesting. You, you say control and yeah. while, while I, I nod in affirmation, um, it's, it's not the kind of micromanagement. Right, of, right, right. Yeah, um, understood, understood, yep. I guess as the, the opposite of being out of control, um, I mean, that's, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And if I, if I go back, maybe this would be similar to your story, but if I go back to the time that was uh, the least profitable and, and the most anguish inducing for me in the company is when I thought that we could minimize risk by using an all contractor team. And wow. I think, you know, there's, there's risk in hiring full-time employees because you got to keep them on and you got to cover benefits and, you know, now you're obligated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you better make a good decision because, letting them go is challenging and there are legal ramifications around that. So I thought, wouldn't it just be easier to have all contractors? And so, gosh, within the first two or three years, maybe at the most, we had swelled to 30 people. And I'm not sure that any of them other than me and my co-founder were employees of the company. And uh, the quality was terrible. We Mm -hmm. couldn't deliver things on time. And the people who were doing the work didn't feel any obligation to maintain the uh, reputation of the company. They're interested in their own reputation as contractors, perhaps, but didn't really care right. as much about inspiring apps. So um, we made a, a very quick change, you know, like around the five-year mark, where we just stopped working with contractors altogether. Mm-hmm. We now have an entirely employee team. And so the control doesn't come from me looking over constantly to to make sure that they're doing the right thing. It's investing in people over years and years so that they understand, you know, without me being present, they know what the right thing to do as an inspiring apps employee is, you know, in, in different situations. And so it's much more comforting now to have that team that, that I can count on. Mm. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. I appreciate you sharing that. The one other tip I would say for the listeners is e- even if you, even if you aren't ready to take the risk of W two employees, there's a couple of other things you can do too. You can always, you can have some sort of vesting equity play for for people, even if they're 1099 or to to get them to buy in to be maybe small equity holders. Um, and, and there's some different things you can do, but the the point of that you're making is, yeah, if they're not all in 
<laughs> they're going to deliver crappy work, right? And, and then the reputation. And boy, in today's world with reviews and things like that, oof, man, if you deliver, <laughs> if you deliver bad work as a service provider, you're dead in the water before you even start. Yeah, yeah that's tough. Uh, what, what was your scariest moment? Did you ever have one of those? Well, you probably had several, but do you want to share a moment where you woke up at like three o'clock in the morning and you're in a sweat and you're like walking around in the living room having a heart attack thinking, oh my God, what is, is this going to work? Did you ever have any of those? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm searching for the one that I want to share out of the perhaps many over the years. Um, but the, uh, let's see, the, the financial challenges are scary or were scary for me, for sure. And so going from what at the time was probably close to a 15 year track record of just a profitable business to see uh, that we were losing money. Um, and keep in mind that the, the more, the more people you add to that problem, the faster you're going to lose money. So I felt like I had just thrown fuel on a terrible fire. And so the, it wasn't just one day that I woke up fretting, but, like, how the heck are we going to get out of this? And um, it, it, fortunately, it didn't take as long as I, I feared it would. And there were definitely times when I thought maybe it'd be better just to cut my losses and you know, go back to being a W-2 employee and pay off debt for the next 10 years. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> Did you use money? Did you use equity from your home and different things over the years to, to stretch cash flow? Uh, not not home equity uh, per se, but there I definitely had to put savings into put, the business in some years when there mm -hmm. there wasn't enough revenue to to cover payroll. Um, but that was it was rare, for sure. I like so, the if for any for any business owner they can relate to this next story. I like it when you, you're having to talk your spouse into pulling personal savings out to 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 stretch. <laughs> to stretch uh, payroll over the next few months. And right as that's happening, you're, you're walking through the break room and you hear an employee complaining to another employee about the type of coffee that's in the break room. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, uh, that is the challenge. I, I don't know if uh, watching this podcast, if some of my team members will find that as a surprise. But I feel like um, it's not that I sugarcoat everything, but you know, one, one of the burdens that I feel uh, is my responsibility to take on is to, to smooth out the ups and downs for the rest of the team and, yeah, and shelter right. from some of the things that are really uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and that's another interesting topic, right? We could probably do an entire episode just on that is how much to share, right? I think, I think business owners and CEOs, I struggled with it. Um, you want to share as I always wanted to share as much as possible, but I was also shielding and protecting them from certain things because I didn't want them to panic or over worry or, and I didn't want to share things with them that would only scare them to death that they couldn't do anything about anyway. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. <laughs> uh, you know, and so, uh, yeah, there, that's another interesting topic is how much to share. It's, it's a balancing act, uh, but because you, you want them to be on the team, you want them to be comfortable. So exactly, they, they they didn't sign up for this. I mean, <laughs> I, I they um, they want to be part of an exciting team. They want to solve interesting problems for our clients. They want to be challenged. They want to be respected, but they want a paycheck. 
and um, I and I totally respect that, and um, I I want them to feel confident that that paycheck is still coming, and, and so I've definitely shared bad news over the years, but have always had um, a, a solid plan to follow that as well. So here's what's happening, and here's how we're going to get through it. And for 13 years, we've gotten through it. The interesting thing about the, those uh, the night sweats night sweats you mentioned you know i think those are easier to get past when you're a little bit younger they they get more stressful if it happens to you after you're 55 or your mid 50s or older i think then when they happen you're like okay so let's see if the business fails I'm 56 years old. Nobody's going to want to hire me because I'm already over the. <laughs> and then you start. Uh, you have less time to to make less up time. the gap. So right. if if I stopped now with with a huge pile of debt, then it'd be tougher for me to recover than it was 15 years ago or a dozen years ago or whatever. Right, right, and all of the all the 50 year olds listening to this episode can 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 relate, right? Because I know they've thought some <laughs> of the same things. But you know, you know what I tell myself when, when I, you know, every once in a while when we'll have a scary moment or something I, as I get old, cause I'm 53. And I just think to myself, you know, what, what's the worst case scenario, right? That, that, that you didn't, that you didn't try anything. I think it'd be a lot worse if I was 68 and having a bar with, having a beer with a friend at a bar and complaining that I never tried it. I, I right. don't want to do, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, and now you haven't. Here you are. That's right. Here we are. Here, here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, uh, well, I had a guest on the show recently and uh, I loved her line. She said, she goes, you know, she goes, starting a business is just really awful. <laughs> <laughs> she was so classic. But hey, you know what? Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. It's been, uh, it's been, I, I wouldn't change it for a minute. I mean, I, I just enjoyed so much about it. One thing I was going to mention, by the way, on the co-founder, you know, so my partner that helps me run the business, Scott Kegris uh, here at Riderflex. I mean, it is just so critical if you're going to have a co-founder to just really pick somebody that you enjoy being around as a person. You know, everybody wants to balance the skill set, right? Like if you're a good ops person, maybe you surround yourself with a good salesperson, or if you're not tech, maybe you're, you're balancing each other out. And that is important. But if you don't like just hanging out, it's not going to work because you're side by side, you know, in the very beginning. So I think that's really critical. And that's why we've, I think Scott and I've been successful uh, at Riderflex building the team out is because we just enjoy each other's company. And I can call and just talk to him about anything. <laughs> And <laughs> that's, that's, that's important. Um, if you had to leave a piece of advice for an aspiring entrepreneur, and again, I know that's like an entire episode, but one or two things you would tell them, just like I mentioned, you know, selecting a good co-founder. Other than that, is there one or two things you would share to anybody out there thinking about starting their business? Um, I would. So I, I, I want to, key on the, the advice specifically, and, and that is to be wary of advice. <laughs> uh, Good one. So, yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's easy. I mean, you, you were saying that you suspected that over the years, um, I may have received advice that I should grow the company larger. But I feel like advice comes from people who 
who definitely don't know you as well as you do or your business. And so you got to be careful about what people say that you should do. What I find has been really helpful for me and what I would share for, for your viewers is to seek out experiences from other people, have them share what their experience has been about a particular topic. So uh, for instance, we're, um, we're reviewing our family leave policy. And so I'd love some input on that. So I'm not looking for advice. I don't want somebody to tell me what we should do. I want someone to tell me what they did for their business and what the outcome was. Mm. And I think one of the, the joys of being an entrepreneur is having the opportunity to figure things out for yourself. It's not to say that you do it without input. Asking for those stories from other people is how you get the input. But then I think the fun part is figuring out what makes sense for you, what makes sense for your team, what makes sense for your business based on what you gather. Mm. So um, maybe that's advice in itself, but uh, I think the, the overarching message is be careful, uh, be wary of people who are, who are too quick to tell you what you should be doing. Good. That's good stuff. How about this? Um, what advice would you give first time CEOs? All of a sudden, all of a sudden they have 12 employees kind of like you had right, right <laughs> away. You have, you have 15 employees. You're like, Oh shit. Okay. I'm, I'm a CEO. I got employees for the first time. Any advice for those folks? The, the experience that I didn't get working independently for 12 years was managing people. And so I am, I'm very comfortable with technology. I'm very comfortable with development. I understand uh, what's possible. You know, I stay, stay sharp on the technology side, but what is hard to prepare for is the variety of challenges that you'll face <laughs> from employees um, in that role. And they're, they're fantastic. Uh, they've stretched me you know, in ways that were important. They've made me a better person over the years. And when it comes down to it, I mean, my business is our team. Uh, what I'm selling is our ability to do something magical for you as a, as a client. And the only way we can do that is with um, a fantastic team of people. So mm -hmm. uh, my, my experience has proven that if you treat that team well, treat them with respect, um, that they'll, they'll stick with you and uh, will be excited to support the business. Mm -hmm. I and mean, one of the things that I'm, most proud about you. You're probably familiar with stats related to the industry, given your role in uh, recruiting. But uh, we we tend we in the software development space tend to see a lot of turnover. And at inspiring apps, I'm proud to say that we have uh, over 40% of our team has been together for five years or more. And wow, wow, that's really good. Four of us have been together for 10 years. So. <laughs> Impressive. Impressive. Yeah. You're right. Because people on your staff, they get, they, I mean, I know you know this already, but pe the, the people that do your, the work for your company, they get called by recruiters all the time. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, nobody at Riderflex has ever called anybody there. Just so oh, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, what's going to happen when the day comes where software engineers and developers they're having a good run right now, right? They're, they're the most high, they're the most, 
they're the most in-demand job on the planet, pretty much. Uh, it won't always be that way. Every time I, every time I'm interviewing a super cocky software engineer, I'm always thinking to myself, <laughs> I've always, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, you better, you better enjoy this time. Cause it ain't always going to be like that, buddy. <laughs> uh, man. You know, managing people is really a special, special thing. Right. And, uh, I just, I had a mentor recently, uh, she had a business for 30 years. She is, uh, winding down that business now. And I talked to her and she, she said, you know, she was kind of, she was sad and everything about having to, you know, shut the business down. And I told her, I said, you know, I said, do you know how many lives you've, you've affected and you've mentored and you've shaped over the last 30 years? I mean, you put people, you paid off people's homes because they were employees here. They had bonuses and, and all, I, you put their kids through school. You, you created uh, jobs in the economy and the marketplace. I said, you, you, you mentored and fostered relationships. I said, what are you sad about? I mean, you spent 30 years shaping people's lives. I mean, that is really a special thing. And, it, and by the way, it means a hell of a lot more than what your most profitable year was. For sure, uh, and and it's a special it's a special thing, and um, I I enjoy the mentoring the people piece and and having them on the team. I mean, the tombstones for us aren't going to say, uh, you know, best CEO ever and delivered <laughs> plus EBITDA in two thousand twenty. You know, right? It, it ain't going to say that. I'm pretty sure. At this stage in your life. If you could call your, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to call you a jock because you were a jock coming out of high school because you played, you, you were obviously, you went to college and played some sports. Right. So if you could call your 18 year old jock self and have a conversation with that young man before he went out to Southern California, would you tell him anything today? Oh my gosh. Um, that goes way back. <laughs> uh Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't have anticipated at the time that I would even be interested in starting a business. The, the business that I'm in, if it existed, I didn't know about it when I was 18. So uh, that would have been hard for me to imagine. So, uh, you know, if I could, if I could say something nonspecific, uh, I would just provide some comfort that it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. It's all going to be okay. I thought you were going to say, you were going to tell him, listen, when you get out to USC, just party a lot more than I did the first time. <laughs> I was, uh, maybe I was too studious, but uh, right. I was not so much into the parties. By the way, how did you meet your wife? I forgot to ask you. Uh, we met at one of those jobs that uh, I went back to. Oh, really? Okay. Now, see, 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 there, it was meant to be. Oh, totally. Yeah. If, the, if the first business had been successful, you never would have met her. I know. Everything, ha everything happens for a reason. Last, yes. last question. I know we got five minutes left. Last, last question. If you had to put your core purpose in life into a sentence now at this stage in your life, and I asked okay. you to push that outside of your immediate family. So let's just set aside your, your, your children and your wife for a second. Let's assume that's number one priority and your core purpose is to be a great dad and all that stuff. Push that aside for a second. 
What is your professional core purpose in life now today at this age? Uh, uh, let's see, I have not formulated a purpose statement. So uh, off the top of my head, um, my purpose is really serving others. And you know, we're, I talked about Inspiring Ops being a service business. So uh, we serve clients. You know, like I said, we, we help startups hopefully uh, kickstart their dream, if not realize their dream of, of forming a business around things that we build for them. Mm -hmm. um, I think in order to be successful, it's aided my success, let me say this differently, um, to, to enjoy serving other people. And so I, you know, I focus on clients first, but it, the same goes for my employees. And uh, I feel like I'm here to, you, you touched on many things, to, to mentor, to support them financially. Um, I get a lot of gratification knowing that uh, kids are gonna be able to go to college, you know, based on using the money that their, their parents save working in inspiring apps, uh, put them through school, we have, um, at least two or three employees buying houses now, people getting married. Love it. Love it. Uh, and, and that's super gratifying. And, love it. And love it. So for, for what I do, it's, it's critically important that I enjoy uh, serving others and, and really getting joy from, from making other people happy. Now, you know what's going to happen because you strike me as a pretty analytical guy and a very thoughtful guy. You know what's going to happen this afternoon or, or this evening? You're going to have this, this kind of frustrated look on your face and your wife's going to be like, what's wrong with you? And, and you're going to say, ah, I'm like 50, I'm mid fifties. And I don't even know my, I don't have a core purpose statement. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I need the statement. I, I, I feel pretty good about good. what I'm doing. Very yeah. good. Well, you're obviously, you're obviously making a difference in people's lives and you're helping companies. And by the way, it's inspiringapps.com, right? Inspiringapps.com. Is that the best way for people to contact you is just go straight to the website or do you have any preference on anything else? No, I think that's great. I mean, you can find us on social media as well, but uh, if you start at the website, uh, you'll find ways to, to contact us via email or on, on social media platforms. Now, now, my partner, Scott, he did tell you for you to be on the podcast that we get like a free app for RiderFlex, right? Does, was that, did you guys talk about that? Uh, absolutely. If, if you're not going to uh, go so far as to specify the scope, I could get delivery app this afternoon. <laughs> That's pretty good. It'll be uh, the best app showing the Rider Flex logo and nothing else that you've ever seen. Love it. <laughs> Brad, thanks for being on the Rider Flex podcast. Appreciate it. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.